I was going to say, like, their um, electron deflection patterns in a detector with poles. Four of them. Sure. <laughs> Sends them in a spiral. Anyways, it doesn't really matter. Excuse me, it, it totally matters. <laughs> it matters to some people, but not to... I think we get an NMR, right? We get, we get NMR in Westwick. This is my episode, and it doesn't matter to me. Welcome to Not Yet a Doctor, uh, the podcast where we decide which of the hosts is most attractive. Oh. And yes, <laughs> we will be doing that this episode. Oh. Sienna wins. Sienna wins every time. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say it's no contest. Sorry, sorry, Om. But... <laughs> I, I, I understand. Okay, well, I think we're going to have to do a little bit of qualitative research before we decide that. So, um... A very good proposal. Oh, I guess before we do any of that, though, we should probably introduce ourselves to our audience. I'm Sierra. I'm doing my PhD in neuroscience at McGill University. My name is Alistair, and I have my PhD from Queen's University in analytical chemistry. And my name is Alm, and I'm finishing my PhD at McGill University in biochemistry. And we're your PhD three. No longer to be. Most of us no longer (laughs) to be. (laughs) So... I'm going to ask just a question, and I think this is going to determine which one of us is the most attractive, okay? So, in your life, when you've gone out into a field in sort of the evening with a bunch of friends, which one of you gets the most mosquito bites? Me. Are you getting a lot of bites? Are you getting a little bites? Mosquitoes love me. <laughs> Mosquitoes it's love terrible. you. Okay, what about you, Alistair? I'm trying to think. Like, I've been camping and stuff a few times, and I do get yeah. bitten, but... I can't honestly say that they, like, swarm me. I know that there are people that mosquitoes just absolutely swarm, mm-hmm. and I don't think I'm that person. Okay. I also don't think I'm that person. I've gotten a lot of mosquito bites in, like, certain contexts, but um, usually in contexts where there's a lot of mosquitoes and very few people to bite. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like I'm particularly singled out by mosquitoes. So I would say, based on this qualitative research now that we've just done, Om is actually the most attractive of all of Stop us. Stop it. No. Okay, sorry. But... Cite your sources. Where are your methods? No, we can end the, ep- we, like to... uh... we can end the episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is qualitative research we just conducted. Mm. Anecdotal evidence is still evidence, Alistair. I'm not. I'm not discounting okay. the evidence. I'm saying, what is the what is the link? Let's find out. Yeah, what is the link? Wouldn't you like to know? He's the most attractive to mosquitoes. That's great. Congratulations on mosquito Twitter. Must be lighting up right now. But uh... Damn, the mentions are just uh, nonstop on my phone right now. <laughs> This is honestly all to uh, lead into the paper. We're talking about a paper today. I'm practically going to give a journal club, but it's one of the most fun papers I've read recently. And I think because it's so different to what I'm used to reading and as per usual for what makes for the most fun papers has like human participation. Mm. And so therefore, when they describe the methods, it's, it's, it's just very funny because they have to like describe things about humans in like a sort of analytical sciencey way, but you're a bit like... This is funny because I can read between the lines and I know what's happening here and I know what this is like. So there is a paper that came out on BioArchive, which is a preprint paper server for biology mm-hmm. on January 5th of 2022. And the name of the t- or the title of the paper is 
differential mosquito attraction to humans is associated with skin-derived carboxylic acid levels. The first author is a woman named Maria Elena de Obaldia. And this is a really cool paper. Sounds interesting. Yeah, I love it. I'm very excited. (laughs) Some of the background for this paper, I guess why they wanted to conduct this research, is because they, like us, know that mosquitoes have differential attraction to people. So some people feel really targeted by mosquitoes when they go out with their friends, and some people don't get as many bites. But we don't know a lot about mosquito attraction to people, which is, you know, we want to know because mosquitoes are, one, essentially only bite people that we're like their primary food source they love us they've Mm. been evolved to just eat us so that's one reason and then two they carry diseases and Mm. some of these diseases can be really bad like malaria so figuring out why they're super attracted to us and then coming up with ways to create more effective mosquito repellents essentially Mm. is of great interest to the scientific community quick question do mosquitoes not bite other animals they will, but they're really, really, really particular about humans. Like, their really? preference for humans compared to other animals is major. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So if they can smell a human, they're going to go to the human. If they can't smell a human, they'll probably try and find, like, a wild animal. Right. And I think livestock typically is they'll try and bite livestock. I think it's also evolved. Like, but, they, they evolved the preference for humans yeah. as well. And, like, just as a personal anecdote, exactly. like, just to continue the uh, genealogy of attractiveness... My parents have both gotten malaria multiple times and made it through really? growing up in Sudan. Yeah, they both got it. And my dad yeah. really, literally just got it a month ago because he was working at wow. and traveling yeah. in Africa. I know, I was thinking about yeah. that. Yeah, it's a, it's a major source of confusion for the scientific community of why mosquitoes are so attracted to humans and now why also particular humans. Obviously, our skin produces odors that we can't necessarily smell, like we can smell the odors coming from certain parts of our body, but like our armpits. <laughs> but, you know, our skin is producing odors as well that we can't necessarily smell, but that are obviously very attractive to mosquitoes. Because if you think about the places that you get mosquito bites, it's often on your arms or on your legs, right? Mm-hmm. So clearly they're smelling something that is attracting them there. We can't smell it. We don't really know what it is. And there's not been a lot of like study on what volatile compounds are being produced by human skin, especially in those locations. Like, people study armpit odors much more than they study forearm odors. Mm-hmm. Which is funny, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> the whole, like, there's a lot of just, like, funny details about this paper that I think just make it, like, it was a real joy to read. So, <laughs> the researchers undertook this study, and essentially, they started with, like, a few human participants. Three, in fact. And I often wonder to myself if those three are also members of the lab because knowing how human participation often works in a small initial studies where you just want to kind of like test one thing Mm -hmm. i would expect that they just tested on themselves i mean yeah it's probably the the pi one of the grad students and an undergrad (laughs) (laughs) very well could be but we're not naming any names (laughs) side note they only refer to participants with numbers in Mm -hmm. this paper but in one paper I read once, they referred to participants by initials. And I could pick, I picked up those initials in the text and I looked back at the author list and found most of them. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, I see you. Yeah, one of, one of the grad students in our lab made a presentation and, and did that. Um, they were looking yep. at nail samples. And they used the initials, and I was like, oh, those are my nail samples. Oh, that's our supervisor's <laughs> nail samples. Like, using initials is not anonymizing at all. No. Not no. at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's like pretend anonymity. Yeah. 
So unfortunately, we don't have that, but also probably fortunately. So this was a three-year-long study, but it consists of mainly only sort of two major techniques. One is mass spec, which we'll talk about later Ooh, on in the I love mass spec. results. I know. And then the other uh, technique that they use is they use this odometer, I think it's called. And essentially, it's Isn't this... that in the car? <laughs> Sorry, isn't that the thing in the car? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. Olfactometer. Olfactometer. I'm so sorry. Olfactometer. I got that wrong. Okay, and it's a two-choice box for mosquitoes, essentially, where mm. there's a flying box that they start in, and there's air being kind of um, run through this whole apparatus. And I think I can show you guys this. So this is the two-choice olfactometer assay. And they essentially took these three initial participants, and they started these mosquitoes in this flying box. And then if the mosquitoes are interested, they have they put stimuli at the far end of the box that are separated by kind of a membrane. So the mosquitoes can't get to the stimulus, but they can smell it because there's air running over the stimulus and sending the odors down into the box where the mosquitoes start. And then the mosquitoes, if they're interested in that stimulus, are obviously going to fly towards it because they're hoping to get some blood or whatever. And then they count the number that get trapped in the flying tube, which is just the area before where the stimulus is located. And they did this first with just like live humans, just putting their arms in the the box. But as they say in the methods, they're like, it wasn't really convenient to have humans constantly having to come in and like do these experiments. So then what they did is they had people, they took their participants and asked them to wear nylon sleeves essentially on their arms and i just loved this description in their methods of the uh human skin odor collection method human subjects washed their forearms with dove unscented soap and water dried them with clean laboratory paper towels and then wore nylon sleeves on both forearms between the wrist and elbow for six hours oh my goodness Some good sample collection. Nylon sleeves were prepared by using scissors to remove two inches of the fabric from the tip of the stocking foot of knee highs. <laughs> Legs brand every day. Amazon. I love that. It's an ad. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> right? Isn't that what we do when we talk about our reagents is- and say like I know. Thermo Fisher Scientific, Burlington, Ontario? Like I know, and it's lovely, and I just love it in this in this Hashtag case. ad, hashtag sponsor. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> These stockings. Like brand every day did not pay us to say this. <laughs> then they had subjects actually wear two nylon sleeves on each arm. So they had the one nylon against the skin, and then they had to cover it with the black nylon to protect the inside nylon from, like, external contamination. Mm. And also so they could know when the nylons were taken off by the per- person which side was in contact with the skin and which side was in contact with the outside. And that's how they they would put, like, the skin side facing up in the experiment. Mm -hmm. But I just think it's hilarious. Did they they keep these nylons for a long time afterwards, or was it kind of like they would wear them for six hours and then collect the sample, like, cut the nylons, and then place in the olfactometer? So they kept them for one to ten days at negative 20. So put them in the freezer in a little bag. Kept the nylons. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, so this is how they tested this without having to have humans actually present. And then they recruited a few more people. So they have like an initial cohort of seven people. And they did this stimulus trap assay where they essentially put nylons worn by people and compared them to unworn nylons and found that, you know, mosquitoes really like the nylons worn by people. But there was a variation in this attractiveness. So some 
mosquitoes were really attracted by like somebody's nylon, but for somebody else's nylon compared to a non-unworn nylon, you got fewer mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. So, they did a tournament. <laughs> and they do describe it in their methods as a round robin tournament, <laughs> comparing robin. people, comparing people's nylons to see who was the most attractive. <laughs> That's great. Is this hot or not? It's great. (laughs) (laughs) This is Mosquito, hot or not. (laughs) This is Mosquito Zuckerberg making an app where you swipe right or left on different people based on how much you want to bite them. (laughs) (laughs) So they did this and they calculated an attractiveness score for every participant to see who were the top mosquito attractors oh. and who were the bottom mosquito attractors? Attracted to and... mosquitoes, not just attractive, like, conventional. <laughs> well, we don't know the conclusion of the study yet. We, let's find out. <laughs> we don't know what the mosquitoes are really interested in here. <laughs> um, and based on nylons, so skin yes. odorants, presumably. Yeah. And so this is their graph from their paper. And participant 33 was massively attractive to mosquitoes wow. 31 25 and 28 who are is in this tiny blue one that you can barely see on this graph were like their first three participants mm-hmm. and 31 and 28 remained throughout like the whole three-year study one of the top most attractive and the least attractive people wow. to mosquitoes wow. throughout the study which is i think quite remarkable to find like that in your first three people that you test mm-hmm. oh that's the and, other um, graph on the other, on the other side it's 33 and 28 over the time period yeah and this is exactly so then they also looked at like whether or not this attraction was stable over time there are suspected chemical factors that can and also known sort of environmental factors that can increase or reduce attraction so for it for instance malaria infection uh, attracts mosquitoes Mm. which again really is a problem but also pregnancy and beer drinking Mm. and so since they weren't controlling for any sort of lifestyle factors they did also like just look at like continuous participation over time Mm -hmm. to make sure that this was like a consistent effect and as you can see with like subject 33 and subject 28 over the course of almost a year 11.9 months um subject 33 was always more attractive which does suggest that it has something more to do with simply the skin of subject 33 because the skin is the host of like a bunch of microorganisms and that's most likely what produces your your particular smell, whatever that it looks like in mm-hmm. volatile compounds. And that's going to be something that's quite stable. Our skin microbiota doesn't really change over time, right. typically. Right. So this is just showing like all of their tests f- between these two subjects over time, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. It's also very neat that they had the a participant that was highly attractive and a participant that was not very attractive from the outset. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you I have know. a small cohort of three people, there's a chance that you're all very attractive. And then, I mean, maybe this, it sounds almost like they were almost looking at something else, or, you know, the lab looks at other things of mosquito attractiveness, mm-hmm. and then they saw this differential attraction and focused mm-hmm. on it. Maybe that, maybe this was a more directed than that, but yeah. it's just. Or I could also see it coming up, like, as, as we did, where we were just talking about how we feel about mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. And me, I'm saying, yeah, I get, like, bombarded by mosquitoes. And me going, I don't really have, like, that same problem. I could see them doing that with, like, two, two grad students in a conversation and then just picking those two and comparing them and throwing one other. And that would 
that would also generate that effect. Yeah. Throwing another one in for statistical significance. <laughs> yeah, and... <laughs> exactly. One person who's like, I don't know, sometimes they bite me, sometimes they don't. And there you go. You have a high attractive, medium attractive, low attractiveness. Yeah. One thing I think that is interesting about this is it does tell you that, like, anecdotal evidence is actually quite, I think, it sounds like it's quite convincing. Mm-hmm. Like, you take somebody who does feel targeted by mosquitoes and you find out that there is, like, a real one, if you compare the nylon sleeves to another person, like, that's there's real evidence that they are. Yeah. So it's not just in your head. Yeah. It would have been great if, if, if they did like a survey to see like which of these participants yeah. also do feel this way. But Yeah, I know. That would have been great. But have you been personally victimized by a mosquito? <laughs> Call this number today. <laughs> Let us know about your Call Burns and Burns. <laughs> <laughs> you start getting lawyer ads. I'm going to squash the mosquitoes. Exactly. Uh. So yeah, so they went on their next step was to kind of assess whether or not they could determine something about what might be inducing this attractiveness. So mosquitoes have a pretty, a somewhat simple-ish olfactory system in that they have a bunch of different olfactory receptors, so receptors that will bind volatile compounds in the air, but all of those receptors depend on sort of four different co-receptors to mediate that scent and this comes in two groups so there's one group of receptors that bind to one co-receptor and that's how the scent gets sent to the brain essentially Mm -hmm. and then there's another one set of receptors that all bind to one of three co-receptors and that's how that scent will get sent to the brain Mm. or those compounds that bind those receptors uh so it's really easy to then manipulate kind of generally the mosquito factory system because if you create a mutant that has a non-functional co-receptor that will prevent the function of like a hundred olfactory receptors for like specific ligands Mm -hmm. and they know that in one set of these the one with like one co-receptor binds specific type of ligands that i'm not going to really cover but the other set that has three co-receptors binds acidic compounds typically so this helps narrow it down and so with the exactly. So it helps narrow it down on the type of ligands and the type of mm. volatile compounds that would be uh, responsible for inducing any sort of differential interest or attractiveness. So I have I have a kind of dumb question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we did an episode on olfaction. You did we an episode, sure a great episode on olfaction, <laughs> which everyone can go and check out if they want to learn more about how we how the nose knows. Um, mm-hmm. But my dumb question is: Do insects <laughs> have brains? Yes, like, okay. they do. They have tiny, tiny brains. Yes, and they're, they're very tiny, and they're m- much more simple than our brain. Sure. So in that episode, you talked about the glomerulus, which was kind of right. all of the receptors all tangle up and then go to the go to a glomerulus. Mm-hmm. Do mosquitoes have that, or do they have an analog? Because I'm just wondering... Cause... Do they have, like, an olfactory lobe and stuff? I yeah. don't know. Okay. Do we have co-receptors in our olfaction, olfactory system? Because you're, you're like talking about like there's the receptors and the co-receptors that mediate yeah. this. I'm just wondering if we have this kind of thing. Pro- so I don't think in our primary olfactory receptors we do. Like I think our olfactory receptors function on their own. Okay. But I think there are like there are downstream proteins that sort of convey the information up like to the next place that might be more similar to the co-receptors in terms of function. Okay. But okay. I'm also not 100% sure on that. But in mosquitoes, this allows them to narrow down 
their olfactory system and what compounds are binding their olfactory Yeah, compounds. or it might just allow for, like, really quick transduction of the signal, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, like, in the mosquito, yeah. I'm... Yeah. My main dumb question was, do mosquitoes have brains? So... <laughs> we answered that one pretty they do. I mean, okay, so they have an optic lobe, which is like for sight. So they might have an olfactory. They probably olfactory lobe in the sense that they probably have a specialized region of their brain that's responsible for processing smells. So mm-hmm. I, I imagine it's as similar as it could be given the size of their brains. Yeah. I, I did think tiny, that they tiny, have tiny. brains. I just want to make <laughs> that clear. I just, I wanted to ask the question because I don't, insects are strange. And... Yeah, no, I know. Kooky. And like, for instance, so the receptors that um, we're going to talk about, so they inva- inactivated both types of receptors. The first set that only has one co-receptor didn't really have much of an effect on their ability to scent these nylons and like didn't change their behavior that much. Hmm. But the second set, which had the three co-receptors, are called the IR receptors. And these are actually expressed on the antenna. So this is like a Ooh. sniffing antenna type hmm. deal. Because, you know, the nose is just a way of detecting compounds in the air. So you don't actually need to have a nose to do that. You just, just need to have an, ex- holes in your face. an external yeah. object with receptors, I guess, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to do that. And so what they did is they made these mutant mosquitoes who lost one of the co-receptors at a time. And I mean, their overall results were pretty consistent in that if they lose the co-receptor for these set of receptors, the number of mosquitoes that are attracted at all to these scented nylons is like decreased a lot Mm -hmm. so this is what this figure we're looking at here shows essentially is that like there's just a fewer percent of mosquitoes that get attracted at all Mm. and are interested in going after the nylon if you lose sort of activity of this group of receptors they're not as able to be activated by human scent in general Mm -hmm. but that being said if you look at this part the second part of this graph which shows one of the mutant mosquito types. When you compare highly attractive to mosquito people or subjects and like do the sort of two choice competition where they can either fly to the highly attractive person or to the lowly attractive person, this was still present. So they were still able to differentiate between high attractors and low attractors, even with like significant defects to their olfactory system. And, you know, what this really just suggests is that mosquitoes are really well evolved to detect human compounds and have a lot of redundant systems in place to detect them. Even if, you know, some of these systems break, they can still kind of smell the smell the stinkiest of us. Mm-hmm. Really. <laughs> That's one way to put it. So that was interesting. But but because like in terms of detecting the human sense on the nylon overall was like greatly impacted by these knockouts of this receptor which these receptors, like I said earlier, typically uh, bind more acidic compounds. Mm -hmm. This is where they got into, well, maybe we can like look at what compounds are on the nylons. And you probably know more about this than me, Alistair, now, because we're going to get into the mass spec data. But essentially, they took the nylons and extracted the compounds in a way that sort of kept and enriched acidic compounds over other types of compounds. So here they were really trying to look at a subset because it's not easy to do mass spec, I guess, on everything, especially volatile and complex compounds in a sample at mm-hmm. one time. So they did... Tell me the science type, name, please. I know. I wrote down the type just for you. Just Thank for you. you. We've <laughs> talked about it before, too. You're going to love it. Um, we love it. Can I guess? Can I guess? Can I... Oh, can yeah, I yeah, yeah. guess okay, the guess. analytical guess. technique? Um, guess what analytical technique it was. I think I'm inordinately excited about this. Uh, was mm-hmm. it... 
liquid chromatography. No. Yeah. Liquid <laughs> chromatography, time of flight, mass spectrometry. No. Dang. <laughs> it was uh, gas chromatography, quadrupole, time of flight, mass spec. Classic. Just say those so. words again. <laughs> I, I miss it. I miss it dearly. Gas chromatography, quadrupole, time of flight, mass spectrometry. Okay. You don't Just need to make it weird, but like... <laughs> <laughs> that's cool hope um, you go to sleep at night yeah okay i'll just i'll just play that on loop it'll be like a, asmr yeah. um, asm mass spec <laughs> so they did this type of uh chromatography which we've talked about in previous episodes i'm pretty sure there is an episode in our catalog where i explain mass spectrometry mm-hmm. so in much greater detail yeah go check that out but i talk about like elemental mass spectrometry where you're breaking everything mm-hmm. down into individual ions but you can do it with fragments of a molecule um, yeah the actual specifics of the detection i don't want to get wrong so i'm not going to try and make up <laughs> but it basically what, yeah yeah as what a you... listener what you need to know is they shot these chemicals that they extracted from the nylon through a massive detector that could tell them what the chemicals were and also the relative amounts of individual chemicals and molecules mm-hmm. and so these are compounds individual compounds that a mosquito would be able to detect we can kind of maybe figure out what it is and how much of it is there on the nylon Mm -hmm. okay so that's what they did i'm so excited to see these (laughs) they first did this on like an initial cohort like their initial participant cohort of seven people Mm -hmm. and this is sort of their graph they found that there was like 51 differentially enriched compounds between just in humans compared to in nylon alone. Mm -hmm. And of those 51, 49 were enriched in the high attractors and two were enriched in the low attractors. And sometimes it's kind of difficult to figure out what these compounds are, especially if they're complex and they can be very similar to each other. So they didn't actually determine, I think they predicted structures for some of them, but determined specifically what the compound was for only nine of the high attractive ones. And they weren't able to identify the low attractive ones Mm -hmm. but they seemed to be typically like long chain carbon molecules and for the ones they did determine they were these long chain carboxylic acids that were enriched in the high attractors and so here you can see in terms of these are a list of carboxylic acids that essentially just have increasing numbers of carbons in their structure Mm -hmm. so carboxylic acid to our listeners is just a molecule that ends in this group that is characterized by two oxygens the carbon is attached to two oxygens and then the oxygen is attached to a hydrogen or not depending on the acidity of the solution that it is in (laughs) but what we call it is a cooh group aka um that's (laughs) pre-coup and so here in this graph what you can see is sort of a heat map so that just shows you things that are enriched in red and things that are not enriched in blue and for a bunch of these different carboxylic acids and these long chain ones so 10 carbons and more before the coup uh, (laughs) were enriched in the top two most attractive people compared to the least attractive people yeah and the the least attractive person has a lot of heptatonic carboxylic acid yeah but that's like not it's just not a consistent result across participants. So I think that's why they um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't, they don't really talk about those specifically mm-hmm. compounds, but it, yeah, there's like a lot of individual 
variation even you can see across this yeah. map. You know, mm -hmm. lots of people have lots of different carboxylic acid compounds. But the commonality between attractive people was an enrichment of these long chain carboxylic acids. Oh yeah, and I guess you can kind of see that there's like almost a, on the diagonal, not a blue line, but like a a valley that separates these two. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Exactly. Really the cool. The more attractive huh? you are, the longer chains you're making. The longer coups you got. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. That's Essentially, so interesting. yeah. And so they repeated this experiment again. They recruited like a ton more people, identified, I think, seven new high attractors and a few more low attractors out of this. I think they like screened like 50 more people. So this is where they probably really went into the wild and found people inside the lab. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm, I'm making like grand assumptions about their study design. Maybe they started with people outside the lab. I don't know. I would like to say that this is just my headcanon yeah. we're talking about. <laughs> this is the I have fanfic. a whole headcanon story. I have a fanfic written for this paper. <laughs> this podcast is the fanfic of yeah. science. Yeah. So what I like to imagine here is when they recruit 50 more people, that's when they're getting their friends and family to right. join in on yes. this conversation. Yes. But um, it could have been anyone. We don't know. <laughs> Listen, mom, put the sleeve on. You trust me. Yeah. <laughs> mom, you got to wear it for six hours. Mom, why are you taking it off to do the dishes? I don't know if you guys have done research that involve human participants very much. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know like stuff with MS, maybe you, you do. But yeah. like I haven't, but people in our lab have. And it's very hard sometimes to, like, with this friend that did the nail sample identification stuff, nobody wanted to give him nail samples. Right. And people cut their nails all the time. But yeah. nobody huh. wanted to give... And so I was like, I'll do it. And I cut my nails and put them in a little Ziploc bag and gave them to him. But, like, mm -hmm. it can sometimes just be really hard to get people to help you out with your science. Right. So to be fair, that's like, when you recruit your friends and family. <laughs> there is a lab in my building they are like especially like a phd student who used to be there i think he graduated like a few years ago he was fondly referred to as the vampire because he would recruit anyone to give him blood oh. <laughs> and so i did donate blood for his research one time mm -hmm. just because um yeah he would always go around asking people if they wanted to give him blood because he needed control blood to do experiments with and you I know mean, there's a lot of students hanging around just full of blood <laughs> i mean i don't know all the ready details, to donate but if you get the consent of the people, then like that's mm -hmm. that's okay. And also, a lot of these like and I did sign a form. Yeah, <laughs> and in in a in a lot of like psychological research, having your friends and family involved yeah. can bias the results. But yeah, there is a less likely chance that there is a bias when you're just taking the blood of your friends and family. Exactly. I mean, your population might not be as diverse. Um, yeah, exactly. But when you're looking at mosquito attractiveness. Every study has limitations with what you can study and how you can study it, so. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, what is great about this study is, even if it is, like, like, even if, if we're looking at this graph, 31 and 33 are the most attractive, and even if they are related to each other, honestly, that would tell us more about the underlying mm -hmm. causes of mosquito attractiveness versus not. Like, so I don't think, like, necessarily biasing the cohort they're using here would really matter that much. Yeah, no, but, um, yeah. For, for the conclusions they're drawing and what they're trying to figure out anyways. Mm -hmm. um, there might be other compounds, too, that contribute to human attractiveness to mosquitoes that maybe we would figure out if you did a bigger, bigger, bigger study of a bunch of different people from a bunch of different places in the world, then you might be getting different compounds out of that. But I don't think a lot of people have even done mass spec of human skin compounds. Yeah, This is a really great way to go about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like I say, then... 
this is their like initial seven people that they did. They expand the cohort to a much larger number. Mm-hmm. Like I say, probably friends and family. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and they identify a lot more high attractive people and low attractive groups. And what you see here is that then when they expanded it, they still and these are these aren't just like random ordering of the numbers of the people. This is like in order of least attractive to most attractive. Oh, I believe so. Yeah, the way it's ordered. So you can see that in the most attractive people, there is still sort of an enrichment for a lot of these long chain coups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Carboxylic acid groups, and in the low attractive group, in all but one. Yeah. There is an uh, de-enrichment for it. And so what we're talking about here, listeners, is that one of their participants, Subject 90, they found actually still seemed to have high numbers of these compounds, but was a low attractor. And so they explain this by saying there might be other compounds that this person is releasing that act as repellents. But since they only sampled a subset of types of compounds, as they said, they were focusing on these acidic compounds, it's possible those compounds are missed because they don't belong to that subset right right essentially yeah yeah so there's that possibility still they are focusing on attractors here right so we don't know what else yeah what else could be contributing and so yeah the the attractiveness that they're assigning these participants are is based on just wild type mosquitoes not the uh yeah not the knockout mosquitoes just the wild type mosquitoes round robin tournament type situations Mm -hmm. where they calculate a attractiveness score for each person based on it's the attractiveness score is calculated so They'll do like four trials with one person versus another subject, right? Mm -hmm. And then they'll take the average of the four trials of like the difference in mosquito number Mm -hmm. in each of those chambers. So if the average number of mosquitoes that a person wins by is 24, then they take that and that's their attractiveness score for that competition. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then they compete that person against all of their other participants and they get an attractiveness score, like 24, maybe for another person it's zero because they weren't the winner ever. Another person it's 13, right? And they add that up to get the attractiveness score. Interesting. I wonder if participants Mm -hmm. were told their attractiveness score. (laughs) (laughs) Here's your mosquito attractiveness results. (laughs) (laughs) Feel free to call us if you have any questions. So they only (laughs) used the knockout mosquitoes to identify potential compounds. Yeah, they knocked out both types of receptors in the mosquitoes. And the data I showed you was for the receptors that seemed to have the most influence over the mosquito attractiveness to Mm -hmm. the nylons Mm -hmm. of the people. So whatever compounds were being captured on those nylons and attracting mosquitoes was most impaired by knocking out those receptors, even though, as I mentioned, you know, they could still differentiate between high attractors and low attractors. Like, that didn't change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then so. getting rid of those receptors let them, like, zoom into the acidic... Yeah, let them narrow it down comments. to... A, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, this is sort of what it looks like. And then, essentially, when they expanded it to include more people, obviously this always, like, reduces the number of things you find. And so... Essentially, they found three specific carboxylic acid compounds that were significantly enriched in attractors versus non-attractors in, I think, every single time. And it was these three. So 15 carbons followed by a 15 carbon coup, uh, 17 carbon coup. (laughs) 
I'm having to like translate from like my old chemistry knowledge the um names of the compounds in two numbers because You're they're doing great the sweetie Keep it nomenclature on. chemical nomenclature for these chemistries and then the 19 carbon coup yeah. so yeah pentadecanoic heptadecanoic and nonadecanoic <laughs> but yeah essentially that's what they found is that these compounds uh, seem to make people attractive to mosquitoes so you can see like even like for the least attractive subjects they barely have more of these compounds than an unworn nylon right. would yeah so they're practically not emitting these compounds at all, in fact. That's so, so fascinating. Cool. Is there any speculation? Yeah. Like, how are these... I mean, the question will always be, how are these made, right? Like, why are these mm-hmm. super attractive people making these uh, super long chains and these, <laughs> you know, not so hot What's people? the relationship between attractiveness <laughs> and long chains? Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Can I? <laughs> the punk effect. The more chains you work and the longer they are, exactly. the hotter you are. Exactly. But it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it works in humans too. If you're not wearing jeans with a long chain, are you even uh, hot? <laughs> are you even attractive? attractive? <laughs> but yeah, I really wonder. Like, what are like? Is this a microbiome effect? Is yeah. this a genetic effect? Like, where where we even derive these acids in the first place? But, so that's a really good yeah. question. Yeah, and they don't look at that mm-hmm. obviously, because um, this is kind of just this is as far as they really go. They do some, like, one more experiment that we'll talk about in a minute, but to answer your question, they don't go farther than this of figuring out where these compounds come from, I think, because that's not, like, the kind of lab they are. But they do, like, provide some ideas in the discussion. And, like, the main one is, of course, the skin microbiome, right? So there's a ton of bacteria living in your pores on your skin all over you, not just, like, where you'd expect to find pores, like your face and stuff. Like, your arms have pores, Mm -hmm. bacteria live in the places where your hair follicles are. And it's much more likely that these bacteria are actually producing these compounds right. because humans aren't like necessarily super good at synthesizing long chain compounds. Right. And then also like bacteria, even if we do, bacteria are going to use them and digest them for their metabolism mm-hmm. too, because we're in like a constant trade exchange of what we give off and the bacteria use and then what the bacteria leave us, you know? Absolutely. So there's all sorts of chemical metabolic reactions happening on our skin. And I think like they say, these really haven't been looked into very much in depth. Yeah. But this is probably the contributing factor to the differences in um, attractiveness, I think also because it's such a long-lasting thing. Like they say in the three years that they were doing this experiment, the most attractive people were always the most mm-hmm. attractive people, and the least attractive people were always the least attractive. Yeah. And so, of course, then there's also like, there have been twin studies on mosquito attractiveness, and that identical twins are like particularly have like a high concordance, I guess, of attractiveness to mosquitoes. So like they are, there is obviously a genetic component mm-hmm. and that would make sense because genetics also can, is going to contribute to what compounds you're making and releasing and secreting. But mm-hmm. it's probably a combination of like the microbiome environment on your skin as well as your genetic contribution, whatever that is. Yeah, totally. But there's a, like a lot of things to look into. Yeah. If I was a mad scientist in this scenario, I would do, <laughs> I'm going to guess what the next experiment is, but I would try and make the least attractive people attractive, and I'll try and make the attractive mm-hmm. people unattractive. I don't know if you could do the second one, but yeah. let's get some spray. <laughs> let's get some pentadecanoic well, acid spray and throw it on some... Right? That's what I... Yeah. I would even think about, like, trying it on animals, yeah. right? So, like, mosquitoes aren't typically very attracted to animals, but then mm-hmm. I would just be like, okay, let's paint it's... these animals with these carboxylic acid <laughs> compounds <laughs> and see if that increases their attraction and also see if that increases their attraction... Because, like, the problem is not that mosquitoes won't bite animals. It's that if given the choice between an animal and a human, they're going to pretty much always pick the human Mm -hmm. because they have such a high preference for humans. But 
what if we started just like bathing? (laughs) Not that you can necessarily do, these are acids. You know, we got to come up with a better method. No animal cruelty around here, but like if you created sort of a perfume, eau de umen. Eau de attractive. Oda subject 33 that you sprayed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> subject 33, that's a good name. That's a good mm. name. <laughs> We're onto something here. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that would probably be, honestly, the idea downstream is if you want to prevent mosquitoes from biting people and encourage them to bite other things. Because, like, the problem is the mosquitoes, even with the least attractive subjects, if you put the least attractive nylon in there with a non-worn nylon... Mm-hmm. The mosquitoes are still like a hundred percent going to be attractive to the least attracted person. Right. Mm-hmm. So the problem is trying to, I think, modulate the attraction levels of I think probably down the road, I imagine, for like the greater concept of trying to prevent mosquito attraction to humans is like get them more attracted to other things because I guess we're pretty attractive, yeah, <laughs> generally right. speaking, anyways. But to your other point of how do you make the most attractive people less attractive? That is their next experiment. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> um, and they take a like pretty simple approach. So this might not be a, as satisfying as maybe you were imagining. But they do a dilution test. And so they use nice. these like quite large squares of nylon in their experiment to attract the mosquitoes. And they essentially just kept cutting the nylon into smaller and smaller pieces of subject 33 <laughs> compared to another subject who... Well, they did it compared to two other subjects, but they subject 28, who, as we talked about, was one of their first people and was one of the least attractive people the whole time and subject 33 who was uh, also one of the most attractive people the whole time but they also compared it to subject 19 who you're seeing here who is the other most least most least least attractive person (laughs) subject 19 and so they found that like you really had to cut it small at one eighth the dose of subject 33 you can already start to see differences in the attraction between although not significant like you're looking at this graph but um you know, if you have an eighth the size of nylon compared to like the size of subject 19's nylon, you already start to see differences and those are significant at a quarter. So if you cut the nylon in four, one fourth of the size of nylon is going to be more attractive of subject 33 than the whole nylon of subject 19. Right. This is why I love science, you know, like even in this scenario here where we're looking at these beautiful graphs where we can see each individual, I guess, mosquito, there's one mosquito who just doesn't want anyone. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. just always is like, I don't want blood at all. Or I don't know what exactly how I'm full. I'm good. Metric is this. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that. I love that. Let me go check because I think these are trials, not individual mosquitoes. Okay, but okay. in one you. trial. That's okay, but still. Oh, yeah, because right. I didn't I didn't copy. There was also like a, the controls were first and I didn't copy those. So it's percent uh. of the mosquitoes attracted. So there's a lot of complications to these trials, including the fact that mosquitoes can die during them. Mm. Oh. So if you start out with like 40 mosquitoes, they're like so inclusion, their die. inclusion metrics. <laughs> their inclusion metrics were like 30 or more mosquitoes remaining at the end of the right. trial. So there's like other possibilities, I guess, for or just like maybe they don't fly out of the flight chamber that day for whatever reason to either participant. Right. Yeah. So, so I think there's probably like complications based off of that. Yeah. One thing I love just talking about looking at these figures and stuff and, you know, seeing, mm-hmm. seeing the science within it. It's really cool that we don't have the figure caption, but I can still see that the one eighth square 
the difference mm-hmm. is not significant. And I can see that mm-hmm. because they've listed AA at the top for yeah. that right. dose, as opposed to the one quarter square they've listed at the top as AB, which mm-hmm. in, as kind of a shorthand implies that there is a statistically significant difference. Um, yeah, exactly. Scientists will do this in a bunch of different ways in a bunch of different figures and stuff. Like it's not standard, mm-hmm. but like that's what I assume that means. And I'm yeah. probably right. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. The letters yeah. indicate the if there was a statistically significant difference between the two yeah. um, chambers, I guess, between the two subjects. Very cool. Awesome. So basically, yeah. you just need to cut your skin in. <laughs> no. Cut your skin up if you're too attractive. That's to not the takeaway. Cover up. <laughs> yeah, cover up. Yeah. Probably, Hide yeah. Your skin. yeah. Or, alternatively, wear a nylon for, like, Oh, no. I was going to say, like, just wear a nylon for 24 hours and then put that somewhere... Or, like, have like, your most attractive friend wear a nylon for 24 hours and then put that somewhere else so the mosquitoes go there as opposed to you guys. Mm-hmm. But I think they also tested this, and in all cases, the actual human arm was more attractive than the nylon. Wow. No matter who oh, it was In every by. case, right. But it makes sense because if you think about it, there's going to... Like, there's a ton more surface area on a human arm than on a nylon and also... Um, mosquitoes want active. blood. Yeah. And yeah, it's active, and there's probably other cues that don't get trapped in the nylon that do um, release from the skin. Yeah, like warmth, right? Like, they go to yeah. a nylon and go, this is a dead person, exactly. or it's, you know, it's cold. Yeah. Also, yeah. probably, like, CO2 and stuff, so mm-hmm. there's probably other things happening there. Mm-hmm. Very cool. That is the paper, and I was, it was just so fun to read. Like, some of the methods are really cute, you know, like, one of them is, like, one subject moved away during the experiment so we couldn't use them in the later cohorts and i'm like oh they graduated (laughs) in my in my little internal narrative of what's happening in this story you know (laughs) we can pretend Um, they got their phd you know they had a great uh, defense and then they moved away to pursue big dreams or whatever Mm -hmm. new studies on mosquito attractiveness or maybe they're moving to a new bug model organism that they're studying who knows right mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. i hope i wish them the best though yeah, yeah. <laughs> moving away. this was a really so. cool study and i want to know more about the research lab because i bet they do some really other interesting things yeah i was just like really impressed like also some of the other things that are really impressive about this paper and like i'm i don't know where they're going to end up publishing it right and i'm also not in this field so i don't really know like what the standards are and what like the extra experiments they might be asked for are in a peer review process so i got like i got this from bioarchive which is a non-peer reviewed Mm. source but Mm -hmm. this was such a good paper it was so well written and clear and i feel like they like did such a good job controlling for a number of factors Mm -hmm. and not only that like one of the i think the most remarkable things is i think they did like over three thousand trials total like throughout this study yeah just like comparing nylons between people and like over three years it just is hard to imagine sort of it feels like a very comprehensive Mm -hmm. data set and so in that way it's like really convincing because you know in every single trial they always would test unworn nylon versus the participant nylon before doing any tests just to make sure that that day the mosquitoes were on their best behavior you know (laughs) and (laughs) making sure that enough mosquitoes were attracted on any given day to include the trial making sure that there were enough living mosquitoes at the end. Like, these, I mean, these are all things I didn't know about mosquito assays, but they mm-hmm. controlled for all of these things and, like, wrote about it really well. So I found it, like, just a very incredibly easy-to-read paper, very well-written, and just, like, 
stunning data. Very cool. Very funny. Very interesting. Yeah. And convincing. That's the key thing, right? It's so, so yeah, it's super convincing. Now we know more about what makes people so attractive to mosquitoes, and that could be yeah. really useful down yeah. the road. You kind of, I felt, I feel a bit misled because uh, <laughs> when we were looking at the different compounds that uh, make you more attractive, in my head I was thinking, oh man, I gotta get me some hepta, what was it, heptadecanoic yeah. acid. Yeah, oh man, that'll be so attractive to mosquitoes. Wait. I don't want to be attractive to mosquitoes. Well, I mean, like we said, the research isn't conclusive. we got to find yeah. out more. And also, <laughs> like, they mention in the introduction and the discussion a bit that these compounds on their own, like there's been a lot of study of individual compounds and their attractiveness to mosquitoes because that's obviously a much easier way to sort of study it, although less comprehensive. So, for instance, lactic acid is really attractive as a scent, and human skin produces a lot of lactic acid, but that only mm -hmm. tells you about one thing, and if you mix it with an ammonium compound, I think that again increases the attractiveness. But if you look at carboxylic acids on their own, they actually act as a repellent, mm -hmm. but it's only when you mix them with other human scents is that they start to increase the attractiveness overall. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of like some interesting contrasting results when you're trying to consider, okay, if we just use this one compound, there's actually like it might have a different effect than when it's in combination with all of the other compounds that human skin produces. Right. So uh, unfortunately, we probably can't just start putting carboxylic acids in like little mosquito lamps and hoping they go to the lamps and not us. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> one final question: Do okay. eating bananas make you more attractive to mosquitoes? That's like an urban legend myth. I know. Thing, right? <laughs> Interestingly, like I said, they mentioned like a lot of the urban legends in their introduction, but not the eating banana ones. So like... Jerry's still out on that one and they didn't want it. There's probably like fervent discourse in the mosquito attractiveness community. Uh, you know. They don't want to take down big banana, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Didn't want to name... Could Dole. be. It could be. <laughs> yeah, they only, in terms of attractiveness... They only talk about like the malaria infection, beer consumption, and pregnancy increasing attractiveness. I guess those mm -hmm. ones have been scientifically demonstrated. Mm -hmm. And then like contradictory evidence about eating garlic or vitamin B that repels mosquitoes, but it's not convincing. I think it's, uh, they say unclear. So it's unclear mm -hmm. whether that really affects. That it. feels and like a, a lot of vampire yeah. lore there. <laughs> yeah. The <garlic>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you for recording with me today and going through this journal club with me. It was really fun. Yeah. I hope you guys had fun and learned something today. And with that, we will send you off to hopefully not be bitten by any mosquitoes down the road. My name is Sienna. My name is Alistair. My name is Al. We wish you the best. Happy day to you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>